0: Evening, evening. welcome to Tuesday evening chapel. Where's Troy? It melted. Uh, Troy walked in and he had about a half an inch full of snow all over on top of his dreads. And he's not, and it's not his studies, it's just the snow. I'm glad you're here. We are being transformed. Say it with me the whole phrase again. We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And he continues to push and continues to call and continues to make that possible, amen? amen. We have some guests with us this evening. Uh, Dr. Dan Kopp is the Director for Clergy Development for the Church of the Nazarene and will preach the word this evening. Would you welcome him? And Dr. Vicki Kopp, his wife, is the Assistant Professor of Practical Theology, did I get all that right? At Nazarene Theological Seminary, welcome her. And then Shelly Cotton is part of the admissions teams from Nazarene Theological Seminary. She told me that somebody just gave her a really hard time earlier today. No, not so. Actually, actually, they gave you dinner and, and let you hang out. Hang out. So stand, Shelly, would you? Welcome home. So any questions you have about Nazarene Theological Seminary, uh, Dr. Cop, Dr. Cop or Shelly, we'll be glad to answer for you. Uh, stand with me. I want, to, I want to sing a song, an old song. It goes like this. You have heard the words of our lips, and you are examining the meditations of our heart, and you know we love you. Yes. And we pray for grace to love you more. Yes. Thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for all you have for us. Help us to hear your word through your servant for your sake. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
1: Well, good evening. Good evening. It's great to be with you. Um, You live in a beautiful place. We arrived yesterday afternoon and all the glory of Colorado Springs was on display. What a beautiful day. We've enjoyed the hospitality of Dr. and Mrs. Graves who picked us up and showed us around some, up into the mountains a bit, and uh, what a beautiful day yesterday. I'm told it's not going to be quite like that tomorrow. <laughs> Vicky and I spent many, many years in our ministry in San Diego, California. One of the things we missed in that, I know it's hard to imagine, but one of the things we missed is you don't have changes of season. In San Diego it's pretty much same time all or same way all all year round time to time I'm not complaining we loved it there but to be in a place where the season can change overnight <laughs> now that is something special isn't it from yesterday we were looking at the weather just thinking about as uh, about coming and thinking you know we don't there's no way we can bring the kind of dress you need for just the change of season from one day to the next so we're gonna be cold tomorrow But we had a great day yesterday. Um, Let me just say, as Director of Clergy Development, my role in the denomination, the Church of the Nazarene, is essentially to resource the development of clergy, to come alongside the clergy in the Church of the Nazarene and any others that want support that we can offer. And all I will say is, if you're not yet, um, if you've not yet found the website, just simply www. NazarenePastor.org. I encourage you to go take a look. See the kind of resources that the church uh, is putting together to resource clergy literally around the world and you can access those resources there. Tonight again we are in 2nd Corinthians. You have been there for a while as this uh, entire school year you have embraced the passage, the uh, call, the exhortation that you expressed at the beginning of this worship together. And that is that we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Isn't that great news? We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That happens not in a vacuum. That happens in a very real context for living. And when Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, he is speaking to a very real, living church, people, just like you and me. I want to put you on the spot here this evening. You have been in 2 Corinthians for quite a time now. You've had a number of speakers that have focused on this theme, or focused on this passage, or focused on some part of 2 Corinthians. I want to ask you, and this is not a rhetorical question, I want you to answer What have you learned about the congregation that Paul was in conversation with there in Corinth? What have you learned about them? What is the context for that person, that mom, that dad, that husband, that wife? What is the congregational context that Paul is speaking into when he says, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ? What do we know about that congregation? Speak out. You mean the speakers all since September haven't talked about that context? Surely they have. What do we know about it? There's hope. There's hope. Did they get along? Good answer. There, there was paganism all around them. That was the community. They were confused. They were in conflict. New converts. New converts. People have been around a while, they tended to divide themselves in groups, I want to be a part of the group of, of Dan's teaching, I want to be a part of the group of Vicky's teaching, I want to be with the haves, I'm going to be with the have nots. Well this is what I think about the Lord's Supper, no this is what I think about the Lord's Supper. This is what I think about the resurrection. No, no, no. This is what's right about the resurrection. And that is a congregation of people. They don't all think alike. There's some divisiveness. They tend to separate, not along really good lines all the time. A lot of hope, but a lot of confusion. A lot of possibility, but a lot of difficulty. A lot of potential, but a lot of challenges. Sound familiar? Any congregation I've been a part of, as a lay person, as a pastor, working as a district superintendent, working across the church literally now around the globe, the church is a collection of people, sometimes a lot of divisiveness, sometimes a lot of groupedness, Sometimes a lot of doctrinal divisiveness. Sometimes a lot of judgmentalism. Sometimes fussing about stuff. You know, the church would be a great place if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) Can't you just hear Paul saying that as he's writing to Corinth? A very real context, much like the context we live in today as we're part of churches, as we're pastoring in churches, as we're counseling in the midst of the congregation, as we're seeking to be teachers. We could say it'd be a great place if it wasn't for the people, but you know what Scripture tells us? It is the people God loved enough to send his one and only son to go to the cross, body broken, blood poured out, for the people to redeem them for all time. And so Paul, in the midst of that very real context, Paul is speaking to the hope. We continue to be transformed, every one of us people, into the likeness of Jesus. That is great news. And in the midst of that context, Paul speaks again of this hope. I'm going to be reading in just a moment out of chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. But just to set this up a bit, in the midst of that context, Paul says, But thanks be to God, earlier in chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. And basically, Paul is saying, But thanks be to God, in the midst of this very real context where God is at work, Jesus is, God through us is the fragrance, the aroma of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful imagery? In the midst of the very real context of people, the very real context of congregational life, in Corinth and today, Paul says, But thanks be to God, through every one of us, literally, we are the aroma, the fragrance of Jesus. And then he asks this question at the end of verse 16. Hear this. Who is equal to such a task? Fragrance of Christ in the very real context of congregational life. Fragrance of Christ. Who is equal to such a task? Any of us raise our hand and say, I'm, I'm up to that. I'm not sure any of us could. And Paul couldn't. So he goes on to say later on in chapter 3, verse 4, hear this. Who is equal to such a task? Here's what he says. Such confidence as this is ours, through Jesus Christ before God. Hear this. Not that we are competent to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of this new covenant. He has made us competent as ministers of this new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He makes us competent as ministers. He makes us competent as ministers. Say that with me. He makes us competent as ministers. One more time. He makes us competent as ministers. Boy, let that one sink in deep. Because part of what Paul is doing here is looking at the life of the congregation and looking at the hope of what it means to be like Jesus and the intersection of that happening where we are the fragrance of Christ in the midst of congregational life. And we are being made competent for that calling as God is at work through us. And he warns us as he's speaking here, there's a difference between the letter and the Spirit. And without spending a lot of time here, Paul's basically saying the letter represents the human capacity. He even says, there are some among you that will bring you a letter. And the letter is a witness to just how great they are. All of their human capabilities. Their ability to speak, their ability to administer, their ability to handle conflict, all of their human abilities are defined in that letter, and they present tremendous human capacity for the task. And he says, you know what my letter is? He says, I want you to call out the names among you where God has transformed the life. That's my letter. The letter human capacity, Paul says, that's a killer. That's destructive. You try and be a minister of the new covenant in human capacity and you bring destruction. But he says, if you are a minister of the new covenant in the spirit of God, it is the giving of life. Human capacity, divine capacity. Human capacity, divine capacity. Is that not, brothers and sisters, the story of God? I think of Moses, in his own human capacity, he probably would have stayed tending sheep. But in his divine capacity, God used a sheep herder as a deliverer, a redeemer, setting his people free. In his own human capacity, he would have just given back up to the Pharaoh and the chariots. It's not working. They're after us, and the people want him to. Let's just turn back. We had food back there. We had drink back there. But in divine capacity, God can part the sea, and the people can walk across, and the chariot, chariots and the Pharaoh and the armies can be swallowed up by the waters. Isn't that the story of God? Okay, again, this is not a rhetorical question. Where in the story of God do you see that again? Divine capacity. Just call it out. I think of Moses. I think of Joshua. Where else do you see it? Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Human capacity, he's fish bait. <laughs> Divine capacity, God gets through and he becomes a great messenger of the good news. Good. Another. Job. Human capacity, he is dirt. His own friends say, just spit at God. But divine capacity, there is incredible, incredible, miraculous help and healing and care and a message for all time through the life of of Job. Esther. Esther, What an incredible story. I want you to enlighten us. (laughs) (laughs) Ruth is another one. Daniel, David... Noah, Samson, you hear the story? You go into the New Testament. Human capacity, you got some illegitimate child born in a no-name place. Right. Right. Divine capacity, the Messiah is born. Right. Uh, right. Human capacity, you got thousands of people needing to be fed, and even the disciples, from their human capacity, are saying. Jesus, we need to send them to all these villages around here that we know they can go find food. Divine capacity, Jesus says, have them sit down. The disciples did so. They were fed. Human capacity, a very human Jesus of Nazareth. Let's Let's let this sink deep during this Lenten season. A very human Jesus of Nazareth. Walked to the cross on our behalf. Went to the cross on our behalf. Took the crown of thorns upon his head. Took the spear into his side. On our behalf, he breathed his last and he died. And he was placed in a tomb. Stone rolled in front of the tomb. Sealed. It's done. Many of the disciples even thought so. But we're heading towards Easter Sunday morning, are we? (laughs) God breaks in. Talk about divine capacity. You see, what Paul is talking about here in terms of being ministers of a new covenant, it's the story of God, it's not in our own strength. It's in God working through us. Are we available for him to work through us? Can I just invite us in these next few moments to think about what that means for every one of us? Think about what that means for us as men and women, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers. And when we try and do any of that in our own human capacity, on the authority of God's word, it is destructive. When I was a pastor of premarital counseling, I always spent time talking to the couple about what it meant to be involved in a covenant where Vicki is designed by God to be loved by me in ways I do not have capacity to offer, except God would love through me. We have two daughters. Those daughters are designed to be loved by the capacity of a father and a mother that we in our own human capacity cannot do, except that God do it through us. And oh, if we continue to try and be moms and dads and husbands and wives in our own human capacity, how destructive. And what it means to be called of God, to be in vocational ministry, a pastor, an associate, a counselor, a teacher, many of you preparing for those kinds of vocations, and in the preparation to know that this is a a God-given calling, and there's a divine capacity. Oh, for us to do that in our own human capacity, Paul is saying, is destructive. We are made competent as ministers as God would do it through us. He makes us competent. He makes us competent. In in the work I do now, I work a lot with the church, districts, people that are in the process of credentialing and ordination. And in the church of Nazarene in that whole process we talk about it including being and knowing and doing. And what I find is so often we're so engaged in the knowing and the doing We even know exactly what we have to know and do to get to an altar to be ordained by the general superintendent. And we've got it down to a task list. Ticking them off one at a time. And I guess what I want to do is I want to call us in the process. If you're in a process of credentialing in any church, Church of the Nazarene, make sure you haven't, in your own human capacity, reduced it to a knowing in a doing. Contents and abilities and somehow neglected the being. That whole process is so meant to be formative. I've counseled more people than I can tell you. Don't speed up the process, slow it down. Ordination can wait another year or two. Let God continue to make you who he would have you to be before you ever get to an altar. Knowing and doing is not enough. Give attention to the being. I guess I would close with this image. The image that we are talking about is the image of God at work in us. The image of us becoming transformed into Christ-likeness and in that the capacity to do ministry. What's our posture in that? And I, as I thought about this, I, just, I came back to one of my favorite stories that I want to close with tonight. And you've maybe heard about it before. It's the old, the old legend of Ignis Pederewski. Maybe you've heard about it. There's even, it's even used in the imagery of a television, television commercial nowadays. Ignis Pederewski was a prime minister of Poland, much loved. And after his work as prime minister, he would go around as a concert pianist and just do piano recitals in the villages across Poland. And one mother, who had a young boy, who she wanted to learn the piano, brought her son to hear Ignace Pedruski. Sat down near the front, big piano on the big stage. And she turned around and was talking to somebody, and her son somehow got away from her. And when the lights went down, and the concert was about to begin, and the big drapes opened, and the beautiful grand piano was on the stage, everybody looked, and there was that little boy up at that piano. He'd found his way to the stage and to the piano, and he was playing the one song he knew, and that was Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. It's all he knew. What's a mother to do? But you know, before she could do anything, here comes Ignace Pederewski, the master. Comes out from the side, and the little boy notices something going on, and he stops. He sees the audience for the first time. Sees this man coming and starts to slide off the bench and get out of there. And the master says, No, no, no. Keep it what you're doing. He turned around and began to plunk out Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Do you see this picture? The master wraps his arms around the little boy and plays this wonderful bass and this wonderful obligato. Am I getting that right? Obligato and bass. I'm not the musician literally wraps his arms around the little boy and is playing this piece. I guess I say for you and for me, if we are to be competent as ministers, if we are to be continued in the likeness of Christ and renewed in the likeness of Christ, we take the posture of the little boy. I've been in this a long time, but I still feel like so much of what I have to offer is a twinkle, twinkle little star. And I think that might be all of us. He makes us competent as ministers. Amen. He is making us, transforming us into his likeness. Let's be available to the hand of the minister, the, the father, the master, the God who she, seeks to shape us. Come and lead us. You know. The benediction is also from the Apostle Paul. Hear this. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can even begin to ask or imagine how? Hear this. Through his power at work in us. To him all glory and honor in his church through Jesus Christ our Lord and all his people said amen Amen. go in his peace